Time is flying on me here. Would you just take 60 seconds in, in your own life, just think about yourself. When were you at passive, active, and a leader? What moved you from one to the other? What moved you? Just think a moment. In your own journey, how did you move from passive to active? What moved you? What did that? Who did? I haven't known you that long, Gail. <laughs> All right. Death of a spouse. Okay. All right. Personal relationships. Encouragement from leaders. Service. You were actively involved in doing something. Like a deacon, a lot of times you're asked to take on a responsibility or teaching. Willingness to serve, just plug me in wherever. What? Commitment. All right. It's Yes, Bruce? Right. Right. I, and that's my story and Eileen's story. So it's hard for me to understand peace. And it's extremely hard for me to be patient with passive members because I know what they're missing out on. And this is where they need admonition. Remember I just read First Thessalonians? Admonition is not just what a policeman gives you when you're speeding. It's also a positive, there's a positive aspect to encouragement and nurturing to say, you want to be involved. Look what you're missing. And how many of you, because all of you have said this and heard people say it, who've been sick for an extended period of time in the hospital or a crisis or whatever, how many of us have said, I don't know how any of us would have done it without the church? I mean, we went through one just this summer and it wasn't as mad as some do. And I just, everybody just surrounds you and gets you through this. Why would you not want to be active? But it happens to those who are active and who are leaders. They get upset, church doesn't do this, doesn't, you know, but they haven't really engaged in the life of the church. There's no reciprocity, there's no involvement in it. All right. What I. Just keep this in mind then when you look at how God has worked in your life and notice how God is not limited to only one method of doing anything. God, we call them process items. God can process you in any... If He can talk through donkeys, He can talk through anybody. And He can do anything to get you involved in the work of the Lord. Now, what does your congregation look like? And This is where I want you to take just couple minutes looking at, do you think this distribution fits your congregation? Are you 20% leaders and about 40% or 50% uh, passive followers? Can I talk? But stop when I tell you to stop. It's just a quick conversation. I realize you don't have all the stats, but just a guess. What do you think is the percentage of passive followers... And then what do you think hinders them from getting active? Just very quickly, give a couple of thoughts to it.
You do because of your small groups. Okay, I wish we had a uh, lot more time, but I hope this will generate a conversation you'll have driving home, especially if you're a and whatever. Start talking about these kind of things and identifying who the passive are. I think every eldership needs to have the list of who your passive members are. You need to know who they are. At least start praying for them. Some of them are passive for good reason. They've gone through a health crisis or any kind of crisis in their life. They've gone through struggles. They, you know, whatever it is, I can understand why some people are cri- who are passive, and we certainly don't need to, you know, beat them up and make them feel guilty or whatever. We're there to nurture and care for them. Some are passive because of sin in their life. Some are passive because they're burned out. And there's some people in here that will be passive in a few years if you don't get a grip on what you say yes to in church. There's some of you who are getting burned out. And some of the toughest people to work with who are passive are those who are burned out. And like they're never gonna, they're never gonna engage again. They'll even come to a large church where I've been at and they'll sit there and say, we're tired, we just want to sit and be ministered to. That's, that's fine. You got three months. That's a long enough sabbatical. Your problem is not that you work. The problem is that you didn't regulate what you did. You didn't work out of your strengths. You didn't know yourself well. The kind of things that Gupton just went through. If you understand yourself well and you work out of your strengths, that doesn't take a lot of energy. It's when you're saying yes to everything and doing things you don't do well, that just sucks the lifeblood out of you. Right? And if it doesn't get done, don't get them because you can't do it. You cannot do everything. No one was expected to do everything, but do what you do well. Do it well. And I think this is part of that. So understand the passive followers and why they're that way. And then as you pray through that as preachers and elders and spouses, pray for them. Then come up with a strategic plan, and I hope today will help you, strategic plan to start ministering to them. And it's not some kind of program. We need to get them in a, in a renewal class. <laughs> no, 
I'm going to be going toward mentoring. They need mentoring. They need personal attention. They need care and attention. And we'll look at that. Followers. Active followers. Um, active followers. I, let me just define baseline real quick uh, to see how I've defined it. And I realize it's a bit arbitrary at this moment. But to me, a passive member is someone who's been baptized. They may even attend church every Sunday. They're often the ones that sit in the back and leave right after the Lord's Supper. And not too many people even know them well. And you get the impression they don't even want to be known well, but but they don't want their mother to turn over in her grave because they didn't go to church every Sunday. Am I getting close? All right. Now, the followers, a baseline for an active follower is baptized believer. They're, they're in probably most everything that you do in the church programmatically. But they also lead at least one ministry and use their gift in at least one area of ministry. And I'm so generous, I even, I even consider the person who does the head count every Sunday so they don't have to attend a Bible class as one of those. <laughs> at least they're an active member doing something. Jason had a great presentation yesterday on safety. They engaged 16 people in their congregation to do safety. They hadn't done anything before in the congregation. Half of them because they just carried a gun. If you're going to carry a gun at church, then why don't we put you at the doors and you can do security for us. And we'll put a security thing and boom, you're involved. And what happens when they become active? As he said, before you know it, they were the leading of a team for security. And then they get involved in other things. It's just getting them active with whatever gift they have that was given by God. And if they can protect the body of Christ, let's put them to work. Alright. Leaders, one another level, another phase in our life, or all the blow that I've just mentioned, but they also, not only are they actively involved using their gifts, they initiate ministries. In churches, that might be starting Celebrate Recovery. That might be starting small group ministries. That may be actually starting a new small group. The church is maxed out on small groups. They need a new small group. And they're willing to step up and lead that new small group. It may be starting a new Bible class. Growing churches should start an adult Bible class at least every other year when you're looking at this size. Why? If nothing else, it gets more people involved. When you max out your auditorium, you go to a second, second service. And boy, do we get pushed back on a second service. But what's the strength of a second service? How many more people are involved in leading worship? Right? All, there, there's just a whole lot of things that get people more involved, whatever it is. But the key to being a leader is they're able to cope with criticism. That's one of the baselines of being a leader is you're able to cope with criticism. And I'm going to come back to it, but I just want to give you a sketch of these different levels as we start getting into leader loop. Uh, and I hope you'll spend some time, too, on your own, looking at what, what have we been doing as a church to keep people from growing and maturing, and how maybe we're not equipping them, not creating the opportunities for them to become active members. If we're looking at developing leaders... We're starting at the wrong place. We need to look at developing active disciples of Christ and they will be leaders because they're going to use their gifts wherever God has gifted them to use them. Right? So the question of developing leaders in a church really is a question of how do we get 
passive followers of Christ actively using their gifts. This is um, kind of a map that I'm, I'm finding helpful in sort of describing the process. A is moving someone from a passive to an active follower. And notice, I have it in red, and notice the red arrow is longer than the B arrow. You want to guess why? It's it's what? Oh, man, I, I could expect something insightful from Bruce, I'll tell you what. Now, look, just think about it. It's more difficult to lead people from passive inactivity to activity. They're going to say no 10 to 20 times. That's fine. Let them keep saying it, but don't you quit. But... At some point, something will happen, whether it's security or small group ministry, whatever it is, something will catch that God will be working in their lives and it, boom, it catches on. And now they become active followers. To move from active follower to leader, it's a lot shorter step. Once they've engaged, why? Because the level of commitment has now kicked in. As an active follower, you will be committed. And if and by the way, I'm using the word leader here very broadly. It's having influence in different areas, not just having an organizational role in the church. That's one of different ways that we lead. But the question I'm going to ask after lunch and answer after lunch is, what is there beyond leading? Because I think a lot of times we think, well, I'm an elder, I've arrived, this is it. Top of the mountain. That's it. And there's no exit either. A lot of times there's no excess. It's for life or, you know, or just some major sin that's not a good idea either. So you just kind of hang on. What's next? On page two is what I'm calling the leader loop model. And here is, let me walk you through it because I think this is where I begin to answer my question. How do I move people from passive to active activity in the church? You go from passive followers to active followers, active followers to leaders, and then we take the curve, and this is we're going to talk about the curve after lunch. And this is uh, having spent a couple of days with daredevils like De- like Gail and Gwen on snowmobiles. You have to watch the curves. There are a few curves I saw that people didn't quite make the curve. They made a new road out. And I think a lot of times it's hard for us to make the curve in leadership and that curve is delegating, turning loose, empowering. And if we're cautious, we actually stop up traffic because we take this curve so slow, we stop everything. Then you can take it too fast and off you go. So how do we make this curve to where we actually spend more time mentoring passive members to become active followers of Christ. That's where the focus is. So what changed in my as I started studying this, we started talking about it, working with in these settings I've told you about. We think of, let's start, how do we create leaders? And I've come back to realize, no, you start by creating active followers. So D is actually where you start. You start by mentoring, helping people become active disciples. And as I'm going to say, 
In the real world, you start with the shepherd and bring sheep, right? I mean, Jesus thought it was awful to have sheep without a shepherd. But I think a lot of times we've got sheep with no shepherd. So we start with the shepherd and then nurture sheep into becoming active followers and they will become leaders. So that's, that's what this loop is all about. Deals with st- There's stress in it. We're going to do it strategically and that's where we're going to go with it. So how do we have good sheep without a shepherd? My hypothesis is that Development of the emerging leaders in a church begins with leaders. It starts at D, mentoring followers to become active followers and leaders. Two at a time. Three at a time. Have breakfast every Monday morning with somebody who is a passive follower and find out why they're passive and help encourage them to grow spiritually and then where can they get involved. And my guess is in six months or a year, you probably even have somebody very active in some area of ministry. And you just keep doing that. That is more important than half of the elders' meetings you've ever been in. And it's more important than having a, you know, a, a 12-week class on how to be an elder in a church. No, you be the elder, and they see it, and then they do it. And I, like many of you, have been blessed with some incredibly godly examples of elders that have taught me more than just what I've taken in a class. And that's what's needed, especially for people who are first-generation Christians. They, they, they don't know what elders do. I mean, what is this? In fact, in this part of the country, they think they're Mormons. And what I'm talking about has nothing to do with how they define an elder in, in any sense of the term. In the real world, then, we start with the shepherd and then add the flock. How do you start? That's what missionaries do. Right? They're the shepherd that comes in, brings people to faith, nurtures them as they become leaders. They are not the leaders they're nurturing. They're doing mission work is D. Mission work is D. And I think so should our in the local church. This model proposes a shift from maintaining and filling positions in a church for a long time to mentoring as many as possible to become active disciples of Christ and leaders who use their spiritual gifts for the honor of God. It is empowering and transforming. So it's not about just filling a position. We have five deacons. We just lost a deacon. We need somebody. And so we put a square peg in a round hole and say, oh, he'll adapt to that and get him involved with no mentoring, no encouragement. In fact, sometimes it's really counterproductive because they become cynical when they see how bad we lead churches. So we've got to nurture them enough so they can overcome our own inadequacies. And that takes some mentoring and spiritual growth. Passive followers are camped on the fringes of the congregation and live in the shadow of Christian fellowship. And that's not where we live. We live right in the middle of the camp and we are in the sunlight. We bathe in the sunlight and the warmth of Christian fellowship. And so it's, our view of the church is very different than theirs happens on a regular basis, I bet even in your churches, when you get up and say, you know, we are the friendliest church in Montana. And you've had guests visiting for the last three weeks and they go, really? I came in, no one talked to me. I've not been in anybody's home yet. What you mean is, those of us who are in the 20 in the center, 
We are the best friends in the world. We have been together for 40 years. We love each other. We care. We know each other's family. We're, it's like we're in. You know what I'm talking about? So it depends on what you're looking at. From the outside, it looks like a nice click. But for them, they're not sure how friendly this is, how welcoming, how open this church is. And so we want to be sure that passive members don't assume... I mean, it happens if you always talk to the same group at church, you always go to lunch on Sunday with the same group, all of those, I can just keep filling all that in to where, yeah, you're good friends, but some of the other past members, they don't have that level of fellowship. I'm not saying don't do it, but find other ways to engage them. Keeping leadership development simple and quick, which is what we try to do. We need an elders, let's find them, we need a deacon. All it does is keep a church at A. It never matures beyond A. And then when we do appoint leaders or elders, it's typically premature and people who have not grown spiritually. And I've seen some churches do that so they can be biblical. Assuming that if we have elders, we're biblical. And I'm saying, yeah, but if you have spiritual leaders, you're biblical. And that's what these elders do. And so I think a lot of times we just never get past uh, A. Greater intentionality, which is strategic, and a lot more energy, which is stressful. So those are your two arrows. So the more you go up the leader loop, the more stressful it's going to be and the more energy it's going to take to move leaders into mentoring. And it's going to take more of that to go into mentoring and do the curve than it is to take somebody through A. Let me say that again. It's going to take more energy to get leaders to become mentors than it is to get passive members to become active. Anybody want to challenge me on that one? It takes more energy and stress and strategic planning to get leaders to become mentors. In fact, in our language, to actually do the shepherding you're supposed to be doing than it is to take passive followers and help them become active. This is more difficult. The top part of this is more difficult than the red arrow. The blue arrows are going to take more energy and more strategy and intentionality than the red arrow will take. And if you'll notice, I'm trying to talk about process. All these arrows are processing, not points. All right? I'm not talking about positions. I'm talking about processing. It's a lot more processing to, to engage in mentoring. At A, the stress is personal, right? If we're trying to help a passive member become active, we're basically mentoring them on dealing with their own personal issues. Maybe they were burned at a church, or maybe they're a preacher's kid. Boy, it's tough for preacher's kids because they've seen a lot of the underbelly of the church. And it's a personal thing for them to get through some of that to even become active themselves in some church because they remember what happened to dad and mom or whatever it is. Or it's their own sin. So the process, the red arrow, that's typically personal growth and development, spiritual formation. The blue arrow, however, you, you have a lot of headwinds. The headwinds are your own personal feeling like, and it's true since our elders are all men, a lot of times they're not too touchy-feely. And this idea of taking somebody to breakfast every Monday morning, like, why would I want to do that? I mean, I'm not even going to hug that dude, much less take him to breakfast. 
And it's hard sometimes. And then what would we talk about? Well, just listen. But it's personal. But on top of that, you have the institutional challenges as well as organizational challenges because the church itself has already developed an image of what an elder should be and do. And basically, your role is to keep all of us happy. And when you don't keep us happy, we'll let you know it. But don't get in our life. Don't get in our face. Don't do the admonition that Paul says the leader should be doing. And this to me is admonition. Now, it also, as if you heard Gupton, you cannot do this and avoid conflict. You, you have to be willing, and that's why I said a leader knows how to deal with criticism. Now, at D, you need to know how to manage conflict as a base of this, because you're going to lean into it. Chances are, half the people that are passive in this church, they're passive because they're ticked off at somebody else in the church. Maybe you are one of the elders. So are you going to not avoid that one because your fellow elders at odds with this person and they're going to lose their soul over it? Or are you going to engage in this conflict for the sake of a sheep that could be lost? That's a nasty question. One, I'm sorry. It's a nasty question. But are you willing then to lean into conflict and lean into engaging these situations knowing that every one of them's got a story and it's not a good one? If it was a good story, they'd be active followers. Because even the active followers have their issues, but they're mature enough to deal with it and they're low maintenance. The high maintenance are the passive. And we need to engage in it. And it takes the most spiritually mature among us to do it. Which I think is elders and spouses, and hopefully deacons and others involved in that. So you, you see now why D is more difficult than A, and why I'm talking about D at a shepherd's network? I know you're glad lunch is coming up real soon. Each arrow represents a dynamic function or process. The focus is on process more than position and role. Are leaders made or born? Here's an interesting question. But I'm going to follow it with, are followers made and born? See, we, well, there's a lot of discussion out there, you know, and research on are leaders made and born. And most re, I think most scholars will tell you, born, they're made. Now, they have some innate abilities. But anyone who's an incredible leader at any company you know or any business you know, there was a lot of hard work in coaching and mentoring for them to be where they're at. And the same in the church. And the same for following in a society that doesn't follow anybody very well. Our Western society is so individualistic, we are lousy followers, which is hard to make Christians out of Westerners. Why do you think Christianity is growing so rapidly in Africa? They're more naturally followers there. And if you give them good leadership, and they'll follow Christ. And there was a time in our history, in our world, 150 years ago, we were better followers. But now we're all doing everything right in our own eyes. This is a hard country to lead. And because we're leading Americans, there are hard churches to lead. We have to learn how to follow. So what's the difference between A and B? And I've just given you some of, those, uh, some of that. A would be more personal. B is they're more engaged in the life of the body of Christ in the church. So here are some issues that A. 
One is defining an active follower. And you, you can, I'm, I'm still working on that. This is a work in progress. But I, I don't want, here's my concerns. I don't want activity to only be viewed as church organizational involvement. We have members that are serving God outside of anything the church does during the week that is bringing honor and glory to God. Right? So, I, I mean, if you have a home health nurse that's honoring God and caring for people in the name of Christ and is touching lives, I'd say she's active. But chances are, she's also going to be in worship, but she won't be involved. She won't have time to do Sunday school or other things that we use to... We have to be careful just to look at organizational things as the only sign of activity. Are you with me? I'm really concerned about that. But, it, but to define that as you know your congregation and know the people, and that's why when they're passive, it may be they're not passive. It just seems to you they're passive. Once you get to know them, you may say, you're one of our greatest ambassadors of Christ in this community. And I'm sorry we haven't affirmed what you're doing. And then give them airtime. Pray for them and praise them for what they're doing within that community. Now, I'm going to look at three ways of maturing as we do mentoring. As we get into D, there's three areas you want to help people mature in. One of them is inner life maturing. And A is all about spiritual formation, inner life maturing. That is, have a relationship with God, I walk with God, I'm open to guidance of the Spirit and the Word and godly people. That's just inner life growth and maturing. It has to do with motivation. It has to do with them seeing what God is doing in their life. Once a person sees what God is doing in their life, they will become active. You can't help but do it. When you realize this is all God has been doing in my life, the least I can do is this. Whatever opportunity, whatever gift He's given me. It has to do with simple commitments. And if... If they have some simple commitment to doing something at church, um, where was it? Uh, where was I? I'm trying to think. In Canada, there's a brother that drove two hours from a rural area to bring five teenagers to a church every week on Friday night for youth activities. I mean, un- unbelievable. In fact, there were times he couldn't quite get everybody in and kind of stressed a little bit, got another one in. But, but he had that level of commitment. He was a school teacher. But he knew that these kids, and of course his kid was one of them, needed to be with these teens. And he drove them in two hours for a youth activity every week. That's simple commitment, but he did it for years. It's incredible to me that someone would... And you can imagine the impact it had on those kids. Just his conversation. I gave him four hours of conversation every week. <laughs> and influence in their lives. And then First Thessalonians 5 and Hebrews 13. Read it. It's pretty clear what is expecting us to do with people who are timid or shy. I don't have time to deal with the text this morning. But it's very clear everyone that he lists are people who are passive members. And for very different reasons. Here's the baseline for leaders for B. And then I'll, we'll stop here and go to lunch. Uh, or, or have announcements and go. 
They're responsible for others. A leader is responsible for... This can be in a small group ministry. This could be responsible for kids in a Sunday school class. It could be with a group that goes to Honduras. Whatever it is, they're willing to be responsible for others and serve in the church. They initiate structures or ministries. They cope with criticism. Any one book you can read to learn how to cope with criticism? When you're dealing with criticism, that's the last thing you want to do is read a book about it. Uh, this is where you need a, a coach, a mentor, someone to encourage you to get through it, keep the criticism in perspective, listen to it. My rule of thumb was in ministry, if I'm getting criticism from someone who's very active in the church, like an active member or a leader, I better listen to it. If I'm getting it from passive members who think their gift was to criticize, I'm polite, I'm nice, and I totally ignore it. Because they have no idea what they're talking about. It's easy for you to criticize speakers or preachers until you have to do a lesson. And then you get up and preach and you realize, whoa, this is not an easy thing to do. We had students that thought (laughs) they tried to get through Harding School Theology without speaking in chapel. Because I knew how critical they are of anybody who's chapel. Now they can't get by because Dr. Bland in his preaching class, you have to speak in chapel twice. It's great. In fact, it's even better. We all are given critique sheets and they get critique afterwards. So we take care of that one. You know, you can't keep doing that. You're going to get... Well, we've got to learn to cope with criticism. That's working with people. I mean, if you're married and you're... That's you. You're deaf. You know, that's just a part of being with people. So, if you've been criticized lately and you're wounded, get over it. You're going to have it. That's just a part of leading. And if you don't know how to cope with it, how in the world at D are you going to help someone who you've mentored to become a leader and now they get shot down? Are you going to start unloading your bitterness and cynicism? Are you going to be the Spirit of God speaking into their life and help them to grow with it and overcome it? I hear people say you need thick skin. I don't know. The problem with thick skin is, you know, a really heavy wall keeps people out, but also keeps you in. So I'm not sure you need thick skin, but you need a way to just process it and leave a lot to the Lord. One way to do it is, you know, David had real enemies. So when you read the Psalms, look how much is about enemies. Just contextualize it and where he has enemies put my critics and see what the Psalms will do as you trust in God to deal with the critics because there's every church I mean I, I guess it's God's design I've never been to a church that didn't have you know professional critics when I thought I was doing a pretty good job but you just there's no free pass the other thing I think it keeps us humble and we're going to work with it cope with critics then seek to do what is right Read 2 Corinthians 8, 20 and 21, and it's also on page 8, I believe, on your handout, where I think you find Paul making it very clear. He was trying to do everything he could to do what was right as he took money from Macedonia to the poor saints in Jerusalem, but he didn't want anybody to think he was dipping into the till and using it for his own personal travel expenses. You remember how he he said, I want to make sure I'm doing this to please God and man. I'm going to go out of my way to do what is right. 
So that means every church ought to have three people, just as a quick application, that handles the money on Sunday morning. Those who count, those who deposit it, and those who are the treasurer who manage the funds. I'd have at least three different hands in a small church. Larger, it gets even more complex than that. A leader attracts followers. I mean, that's the other part of the equation, right? So if you get somebody actively involved and pretty soon people gather around them, they want to be at their house in the life, they want them in the life group, they want to go to lunch with them, they want to be in their Bible class, what's happening? They're attracting followers. Don't be jealous of that. Praise God for it. Now they're having influence in people's lives and then they exercise spiritual authority by doing that. All right? I'm introducing the model. We'll say more of it about it after lunch. I've been, you've been more than gracious. I'll stop at this point. And Jeff, where is Jeff? Here he is. You're next. I have two quick comments on that. The first one is that presentation gives me hope. It, it provides a plan that I, I, I know I need. <clears throat> the second thing is, I can cope with criticism, and so I'm going to throw something out there, and uh, I'm willing to learn from you. I'm willing to accept the criticism. I believe fully in what he said about it starts with shepherds. But when you look at that leadership loop, I believe fully it has to involve our ladies. I'll give you an example. We have a lot of passive folks in our congregation that are ladies. And if I am going to breakfast every Monday morning with Betty Sue, people are going to talk. <laughs> and, and, and I think uh, shepherds need to be working with our spouses, with ladies, who can also go and mentor others. And maybe you're going to talk about that, I don't know. But we cannot leave, we cannot leave our ladies out of this. They are awesome. They are great. They are spiritual. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We've got just a few minutes before lunch, and I promised Bill, Randy, and Kelvin that they could have just a couple of minutes to, to talk about the ministries that they are involved with, and they do have a booth back there. So Bill's going to come up and talk to us for a couple of minutes, then Randy, then Kelvin. And then Dan Morgan wants to make an announcement, uh, and, and after that announcement,